Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Well, John Karugi, welcome to the Who I Became podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and I've, um, you know, I followed the incident back in Seattle during the summer, so I should sort of lay a bit of a foundation as to as to who you are and why I wanted to talk to you. And as soon as I I saw it on the news, I was like, I want to talk to this guy on on who I became. And obviously, you know, we were in troubled times when you know George Floyd lost his life in Minneapolis, and there was a lot of um, uh, protests, a lot of violence, and and just around sort of race relations have been very, you know, it's a very hot topic right now in the U.S. But you know, you're slightly a different angle, um, John. In that, you know, you were at the time a private contractor within Seattle. And some of the sort of rioters, I call them, the looters, had actually um, broken into a police start car, uh, had stolen firearms. And you actually happened to be at the right place at the right time um, working with a news crew. We actually managed to sort of take those firearms from, from people. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on that as we go through. But I want to sort of lay the foundation as to, as to who you are. And then I saw it and I was thinking, I want to know this guy's story because you are a civilian uh, you're in a sort of a, a city, but you're having to carry weapons to defend the news crew against the, the severe violence. So maybe, John, you know, welcome to the show. Maybe just give people a sort of a, a snapshot as to actually what happened in Seattle during during this summer. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> summer kicked off with a little bit of a bang. The uh, There were some riots going on, and I was there working as private security for a news crew. And... Uh, we hadn't even been in the city 40 minutes and before this incident went on. Um, we were on a corner and I identified three three police vehicles all lined up and staged. Uh, they were not abandoned for those who keep saying that. They were absolutely not abandoned. Um, they were there for a purpose. Uh, but as soon as I saw these vehicles, I recognized that there's more than likely firearms in these vehicles, patrol rifles of some sort. Um, so I kept an eye on them. Uh, and I, that's a, uh, you know, that's deductive reasoning right there. That's uh, reading a situation, what the possible outcome could be. So I kept an eye on them and it just happened to happen. Uh, rifles started being uh, pulled from these vehicles as the uh, rioters and looters are breaking into them. Um, the incident happened actually twice and I was able to perform um, both times without firing a single round by taking these rifles from the people. Uh, from the rioters, criminals, and uh, the incident that's seen, been seen worldwide now, uh, was the second uh, second rifle I took that day. The other one happened not even ten minutes before that. Yeah, I know, John. That's how you got the nickname, the, the weapon snatcher, which I've seen a lot on on social media. And there's patches and all sorts of stuff out there now. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'm um, seeing that. Yeah, timing all right, timing and opportunity worked out very uniquely. This whole situation happened on May 30th. I had just visited a friend of mine who I served with on May 27th, three days prior, and I told him, hey, I want to start a business, and this is what I want to do. He runs a very successful uh, business as it is, so that's why I went down and saw him. And uh, he was going to let me use his entire infrastructure to build, to start. That was the 27th. The 29th, I came up with the name for the company, and that was Friday. And then the 30th, Saturday, this happened. So one of those things I was worried about was like, all right, I'm going to 
build up some kind of platform. You know, everything's done on social media. So on the 30th, all this happened. And before I even got home, that platform was already growing. Wow. So, yeah, I, I mean, I had friends within the industry. Yeah, I had friends within the industry. Um, guys, buddies of mine that I've worked with that have their own apparel companies and everything. And they're, a majority of them are snipers. So I was able to uh, produce merchandise and everything fairly quickly because of connections I had already had. Yeah, I should lay the foundation a little bit more. I know you, and you know, please um, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but you served as an infantryman, a marksman, um, instructor in the United States Marine Corps. You know, you're native of Washington State, um, and you sort of, you know, returned after several um, several um, foreign tours. So, you know, you sort of got a, a strong military background. And maybe just talk a little bit about, just for the listeners, as to what you had with you on that day and what was your, what was your purpose and mission? Uh, my mission was to be as low key and um, unsuspecting as possible holding security for this crew. So everything I was wearing was, I was trying to just look like a, you know, someone who would be there to protest or loot. Um, but I still needed to have everything I needed to have uh, from medical equipment to uh, body armor in my backpack, uh, concealed carry pistol, extra magazines. Um, you know, uh, baby wipes, a sandwich, water for, for later on and everything. Just a change of, uh, so I can drop my jacket if I had to, because I had suspected that, you know, there might be an incident where I, I would have to change so I look different, stuff like that. I had, had forethought. Um, and I had, you know, a few other random things that I might need just in case. Uh, like, I had two med, med packs, two IFACs, individual first aid kits. Um, no taking gear. I had a pen and paper. Always, always got to have pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. right now, right? Yeah, that first. Uh, yeah, it's uh just basically your standard stuff, standard, um, standard gear that I might need and I can get anywhere with. I had a fully charged phone and an extra cable just in case, because uh, phones you can do so much with these days, um, and they can help you blend in. If I hold my phone up and just start taking pictures or video and everything, well, now I look even more like everyone else there. Yeah. And I know that you've worked as a private contractor, uh, you know, offering security. And, you know, as you mentioned, you were on this day with a, with a news crew. Um, did you ever feel that you were going to be doing security in that fashion in your home nation? Because most people within the military, you, know, you go into foreign lands to serve and protect your country, not necessarily... On, on the home soil. I mean, you know, people are going to Google weapon snatcher and they're going to look at the footage as to what you did. But, you know, did you ever feel that you should, you would be doing that on home soil? No, the, uh, the overall mission to protect is the same. It just comes down to, you know, now there's different aspects of it and different ways to do it. Um, and that was one of the things I had thought about when I was heading into the city to work that day was, you know, I'm, I'm home. This is, uh, this is not a place that I thought I would be operating in this capacity. Um, I've always trained for overseas stuff of that nature, which is a lot more, it's a lot easier to, to compartmentalize because home is this safe place and safe place in my mind I can go back to. Whereas I didn't just get on a plane to get here. I 
drove my vehicle and I'm parked, you know, blocks away. Um, but the, it's completely different. It's not a military operation. It's not a military PSD team. Um, and those that have made comparisons to that, you're wrong. Um, we're not in some foreign land. It wasn't a foreign enemy. It wasn't a, you know, any of these things. So to make that comparison, you've already failed because you didn't adapt to what the situation is. Yeah, and I know, you know, you've been trained in the military to do this type of things in, in acts of war, you know, doing it on your home soil, I'm sure is very, very different. But, you know, when you went to work that day, you know, there was a possibility this type of thing might happen. But, you know, when you're going, when you're seeing, you know, some um, people in Seattle that are breaking into police car, they're removing ARs, um, do you ever reflect on, and I said this to you just um, offline, do you ever reflect on why were you there at that time, at that moment? Now, I mentioned to you before that I'm a sort of believer and I don't believe in fate, but what, what caused you to be there at that time, that place? What, what does it mean to you? I had probably just tried inserting myself into dangerous situations enough that finally the odds were in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it was me. Um, I know that I had made the decisions beforehand that, okay, you know, vague, vague decisions. If this happens, this is what I'll do. If this happens, this is what I'll do. And that is one thing that really helped me out that day. Um, as for why it was me, I know, I think it was a combination of things. If, if you were to say fate, you know, who am I to say otherwise? Who am I to say it is or isn't? That's, I don't even get into that because that is so beyond what I could put a judgment on. Because if fate's there, it's not uh, beyond me, it is above me. But I know that the reporter I was with was a hell of a hard charger. She was a go-getter. She wanted to be in the middle of it all. And I was just like, all right, let's do that. That sounds like a good idea to me. It sounds like something stupid is going to happen and I want to be there. Um, my cameraman was all for it and uh so that's what happened we were literally in the uh, the eye of the storm and yeah, i guess uh, it's one of those things don't if you hadn't been there you know um rioters would have got away with two police i mean were they ar-15s is that what you managed to recover yeah yeah you know so i mean so so that's why for me i i, I really get sort of deep into you know what had you at that date and that time and that place? And like you say, it could have been the fact that you wanted to be in the Ida Storm and after you know, yeah. 20 years, you, 20 years, you finally got there. But if, but if you weren't there for sure, you know, something bad might've happened to, to members of the public. So very, very grateful that you, that you did. So, you know, I mean, if we go back to your um, sort of uh, military career and just sort of rewind it a little bit, Ben. So you want to be in the Ida Storm, you know, uh, sort of a long-standing service in the military, when did you know that you wanted to be a protector in life and, and that was sort of part of your your calling to run towards the danger rather than run away from the danger? Um, I don't really know if there was a specific incident. I knew when I was 13 I wanted to be a Marine. Uh, but I, I knew that wanting to be a Marine, I wanted to be a, and I didn't know these words at the time, but I wanted to be a combat arms guy. I wanted to be, wanted to be the one with the gun doing the thing. And, uh, then there was, and I mean, that came after 9-11 for me. I was in fifth grade during 9-11. Um, so at that age, I didn't really understand the impact and the how monumentous this was in our history. 
but I understood yeah. something bad just really happened to us and I didn't like it. Um, I do remember that there was an incident, I think it was in eighth grade and I just said, you know, screw it. I'm done dealing with people that want to, um, essentially bully. I'm done, you know, being kind and courteous to those who have shown, uh, otherwise. Um, and I will obviously be kind and courteous, but once you're not one, and that's a continued trait, I'm not putting up with it anymore. I'm kind of done. I'm kind of fed up with it. And so, uh, but I use my mind for that kind of stuff too. It's not just like an, you know, outright get hit. It's like, okay, who is this person? Who, who, who is this military? Who is this nation? Who is, what is this situation? Understand the thing before you get into it. That way you can gain power over it. But, uh, yeah, and can you remember a key turning point? Was there any specific, um, incident? I know you just mentioned like nine 11, but you know, when you sort of said that, um, you know, is there any sort of straw that broke the camel's back when you sort of said enough, you know, I want to, I'm going to stand up for the underdog and I'm not going to allow people to be, you know, bullied or countries to be harassed or for. I was the kid bullied, um, but it wasn't by, it wasn't by like school kids. It was by half brothers, uh, my brothers. And it wasn't like, oh, brotherly love. No, it was bad. And I was fed up with it. So that was one reason why I decided to join the Marine Corps at such a young age because it was like well this doesn't feel like brotherhood should feel it, it never felt right i shouldn't be getting held down and beaten just because someone said so yeah and i was like what is i wanted to find that brotherhood i wanted to protect those who were not protected the way i felt i should have been so and it took me years to realize that years to figure that out and uh and that was, you know, part of my nature versus my nurture. And ever since then, it was, you know, the same thing. Then it became another hard lesson. It's like, I remember the lesson I learned on just to act, to do it, not to hesitate, was a kid on a waterfall. He was about to go over and everyone's standing around and I showed up. I was, I had just gotten there and I, well, shit, now I'm standing around watching too. How, what's going to happen here? And then it just dawned on me, like I could be doing something. So I did something, um, jumped down the falls, swam over, went over and went over to get them. And, you know, uh, then after that, it was, I never hesitated again. Cause every time an, uh, something came up, every time an opportunity came up, well, it was, I already made the decision to do something. You know, that's part of that, uh, framing that mindset, framing that question in your mind over and over and over again, so that it's, it's already previously made. It's pre-baked. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, one of the things, like I said, you know, at the start, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was to really get in and understand that because sometimes it's, you know, are, are we wired that way or did a significant incident occur? And it sounds like, you know, you being bullied by your brothers sort of changed how you were wired or changed your mindset. And then you then, that was a sort of strong transformation, you know, and that going forward, I'm not going to be that person anymore. And, and then you sort of, you constantly put yourself yourself out there. So um, interesting. Yeah. And how, how long did the sort of, um, how long would you say that your brothers, your sort of half-brothers were sort of bullying you in that way before you sort of came to that realization when you said, okay, that's enough now, I'm going to stop? Bullying, uh, bullying is honestly kind of a light word for it. Um, it went on until, well, shit, and cause the backstory with it, just to give like a 30, 30 mile an hour uh, or 30,000 foot view is they and my 
real mother had stolen a massive firearms collection from my father and I. And so it was always me and my father. And I never realized this until I've been, until I've gotten older. It was always me and my father and then them. But the, that distinction was made by them because I never felt that way and he never felt that way. Um, but like it was, it was out, it was absolute neglect, um, abuse on a emotional and verbal scale. And then there were a lot of times where it became physical and it was essentially everything was written off for them. Like, oh, that's just, they just did this because of that. They just did this because of that. Every time, time and time again, through years and years and years, and it just never made sense and always made me so angry as to why, why am I not protected? Why am I not looked after? Why am I never the one who is in the right for defending myself? So it, it made me, you know, like, screw that. I know I was right. Like now it comes down to like the separation of right and wrong is something I'm learning for me instead of being taught to, because now the distrust is being built between those that I am being raised by. So that put a self-reliance on right and wrong for me, uh, for me to determine based off of my moral guidelines and, you know, my intuition and my integrity, um, that obviously had to be built up, but, uh, that built that I see me being unprotected. I don't like it. I don't want to be the one to stand by and watch people be hurt or injured or ridiculed and, uh, you know, have no one to speak up for, um, no one speaking up for them. So that, that's what really, really did it for me. And like, to this day, I don't speak to any of them. They're not. Yeah, and maybe you've just answered part of this, um, joining what you said, but what does it mean for you then to be that protector? What, what, what do you, what do you get from it knowing that you're protecting others, but be it be a news crew, be it on a sort of a, an assignment when you're in the military or just, you know, in a, in a parking lot somewhere and see something wrong. What does it mean for you to be a protector? This was, uh, <clears throat> I had asked a, a question similar to this to a person who I call mom in my life now. And she basically rephrased my own words and said it back to me that in order for me to feel worthy, I have to protect those who need protecting so that, uh, like, I know that I was right in needing protection, that I know that, uh, like, I'm doing something good because I wasn't, right? So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. It's if I'm placing myself in danger to protect others, well, yeah, I'm doing that for all the right reasons, but on that self selfish, not very altruistic level, it's uh it's a sense of fulfillment in myself. Yeah, it's very very powerful. And I know I heard you on, I think it was um a podcast somewhere, um, but I heard you say that um, you know, again talking about the incident that happened in um, Seattle with the rioters, but you know, you said that you're not as experienced as others, but you can oh, make no, the same decisions as others, more experienced sheepdogs, uh, and you did what was morally correct. I mean, what, what did you mean by that statement, John? I mean, uh, four years Marine Corps infantry and marksmanship instructing, contract security as a security and firearms instructing for three years. There's a lot of dudes. There's guys that have spent more time in special operations than, you know, I've been an adult, right? 
So, I mean, yeah, I'm not nearly as experienced as these other guys. The, and a lot of them, like guys that we never even heard of. I fully recognize that. I have made it very clear. This is who I am. This is my level of experience. Um, you know, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. But there's also things I don't know I don't know. I get that. But what I do know is that my path through and into maturity dictated that I had to change characters, flaws within myself that I did. And I did that through identifying my flaws and fixing them every day. And that happened through looking up to certain people, whether they be alive, dead, or fake. Well, that also transpired into, you know, uh, decision-making processes. And, well, I mean, it, it all is decision-making processes, but it transpired into decision-making processes in high-threat situations and high-stress situations. Um, and that is, that's one thing I try to teach is, if you want to control uh, or have a good response to a critical incident, well, you can start that off whenever like someone cuts you off in a vehicle when you're driving. Don't respond by flipping out, getting mad, cursing and swearing. Respond in a controlled manner. You just controlled your decision making process and reaction separate from your emotions. That's all high stress situations. Are. So that absolutely helped me by you know my own experiences and then uh transpiring into a high high stress situation yeah and quite often i mean we're not necessarily put ourselves down but it's like you know could i could i fly a spaceship well i don't know but i've never been given the opportunity to fly a spaceship if i'm in that position and someone's taught me through the manual maybe i can you know i think those are some of the things moments in life maybe that sounds a bit of a silly one but there's those various moments where you were never in that position, so you, you didn't necessarily know. But when you were, from all the stories that you've told me so far, that really says that, well, yeah, you had the experience, you had the composure, um, and you could make the decisions like anyone else just because you didn't necessarily know that military leader or know that person. You can be like them. Uh, an everyday person can can really be that, be that hero. Yeah. I, the thing is, though, like for, for guys in the community I come from, and, and uh, you know, especially the Marine Corps infantry and everything, you don't know until you're tested and you're not tested until you're in a situation. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then again, like I had it explained to me by, uh, by someone else, Tim Kennedy, cause I, I told him the same things. Like the validation for my community as a combat arms guy is gunfights, you know, in war, combat, stuff like that. And he was like, no, fuck that. You went into a hostile environment. You went into a war zone. You disabled, you disarmed two hostile threats without ever even touching them and protected your team and exfilled the area without a single incident afterwards. And I was like, okay, well, when you, <laughs> you put it like Hello, that. Well, and and it's a challenge Tim Kennedy. I mean, uh, Tim Kennedy's the guy, so, you know, you can't, you got to stand up and listen when that guy, when that guy talks. And I guess, yeah, you know, it wasn't just him. There were others too that I looked up to. It was like, okay. Um, all right, <laughs> got it. You know, if we go, John, you know, back to sort of your um, defining moment in your teens, it sounds like, you know, when you realize that, you know, you want to be a protector and you, and you didn't want, you know, you want to protect those that have harm against them and protect yourself. You mentioned from your half brothers. And it sounds quite a, a moment of transformation when you realize that, but there's my life can be different than this. And then you sort of fast forward to really what happened this summer. I mean, I don't know 
what your social media account was before, but now you've got like 80, 90,000 followers. I don't know if you're prepared to say to me what it was previous incident. Are you, are you happy to say, John, what, how many followers did you have on social media before us? 10, 20? <laughs> I'm not, not shooter, Rugi. I maybe had like 100 followers. Yeah. And then, but then so you, go from, you go from like 100 followers to now like 80,000 followers. So again, you know, you're thrown into a very different world where um, either people want things from you or are asking you questions or they're looking at you in, a, in sort of a, a different way. I mean, how have you had to deal with that pressure since? What, what, is, um, what is it that you do to sort of deal with how your life has changed from doing what you just call, I'm sure you just called, you just doing your job that day. I mean, what does it mean post that? Before we get into that, what you just yeah. said, that's something I've corrected before, um, just doing my job. My job was not to do what I did. And I, I make, I'm making this distinction because it was something that I yeah. figured out for myself. The, the phrase, I was just doing my job. It always bothered me when I would ever like, see these guys that are doing outstanding things, right? Whether it be um, jump, jumping on a grenade to save their buddy or, you know, disobeying direct orders because they knew there was a better way that they knew that they knew the right decision and it wasn't that you're not just doing your job you're you're doing a duty and so the job my job was to protect my my team i could have easily said gun grab them and got them away uh, but i'm not saying this as a you know to boost ego or anything like that it's not that at all the base fact is that wasn't the job the job i had was to protect them. It became more than that. Now, if I had just done my job and took them and left, I couldn't live with that because what I just did is I just went against thousands of decisions I have made to do my duty and to protect like my duty like to who I am, to who I want to be by leaving those bad guys there with stolen police rifles. So, and I made that decision once I put my team into a, a secure location as possible, you know, as secure as possible that, okay, I'm probably going to lose my job, but I don't care because this sits within my morals. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm making this decision. I'm doing this. Um, so, and I believe that the guys that I revere, the guys I look up, they all had that same moment. They all, you know, had that same recognition or uh, in thought. It's like uh, 13 hours, Benghazi, those guys, hella, hella dudes. Like, they were, um, they were amazing. They performed very well. But the most pivotal scene to that, uh, in that book, in the movie, whatever, like, to me from that night is, it wasn't the firefighting. It was the decision to go against what their direct orders were because they knew what was right. And that flashed in my mind because that was a decision I wholeheartedly agreed with. And if I ever got put in the same position, I'm making the same decision. So it's, you can't just simplify things like that, saying it's just the job, because there's so much more to it. Right, and it's interesting you say it, John, because actually I'm going to come back to your earlier comment, which really, um, you said, I hope people don't think you've got an ego, you don't have an ego, but it's, it's, it's what you said, actually. I'll go back to your comment, you said, you're not as experienced as others, but can make the same decisions as others, more experienced sheepdogs did what was morally correct. I think that just really supports what you just said there is, you know, um, taking back my comment about doing your job, you did what was morally correct. You saw firearms going in the hands of, you know, bad guys and, and you interjected yourself to, to recover them. So that's great. So now you're going to answer my question about, you know, your, your social media changing then. So how, how's that? 
How's that play um, out, uh, pod into you? I'm a very introverted person. Uh, I like the quiet. I, I like to, you know, keep to myself and, you know, the, the, my close circle of loved ones. So then having the entire world shooting me thousands upon thousands of messages and my Instagram going crazy and my phone literally never stopping. It was overwhelming in a lot of ways. Um, the questions that I get asked now, like it's not necessarily about that incident, but like gear questions or tactics or firearms or whatever. Like I was used to all that because of being an instructor, you get asked questions all the time because you know, that's your position, that's your job. But then having it up to the level that I've been having it is wild. Wow, now people expect things of me. They expect uh, and they ask things of me that I've, I've never been asked before, like podcasts. I mean, not I'm not put, saying it negatively, but podcasts, interviews. Um, hey, if I send you this, will you do this? Or, you know, do you like this piece of gear over this? All kinds of stuff like it's just in um, your opinion and stuff. Yeah, and I think it's kind of cool, like, at first, but then it's also, like, my opinion is to train. My opinion is to train, and through that training, you will learn, and through that learning, you'll know what you want. Now, there are, it's also, like, an end-user thing. Like A lot of people just don't know the industry. They don't know what kind of gear and parts are out there or what's the best, and that is completely understandable. Um so like all that's new having having to do with uh being in the industry now that i already wanted to be in that helped extremely because as i explained i was trying to get into there anyway so i recognized the timing and opportunity that okay now i have companies i wanted to work with that are now hitting me up that's humbling and they want to send me stuff that's undeserving and i appreciate that so you know, just build those relationships. It's uh, it's a little wild. And then you got the haters. Um, yeah, I saw some of your haters. Yeah, and you know what? I can't say I disagree with a lot of them. I can't. Like, <laughs> I just saw some this morning saying, um, really trying to ride that 15 minutes of fame. And my my response was, I'm trying to prove a point. That, that, well, that was my response. And that point being, you don't, need this the, all the cool gear you don't need all this blah 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 you don't need this this or this and your decision making process behind it is what's cool the fact that i drew a gun and walked across the street that's not what was cool it was the uh, decisions and uh, mindset behind it that's what made that well, turn out the way it did and it's interesting you say that john because there's a, a woman originally uh, from uh, the west coast who's now in texas called katie the good patriot i don't know if you've heard of her um before um, similar to you, you know, sort of hundreds of thousands of, of followers, and when she posts on social media, her videos blow up, I think 900,000, very sort of pro-Second Amendment, and, and I sort of spoke to her recently, and I said, you know, Katie, it's really good that we're holding this conversation, and I wish I was still recording, I'd stop record by then, but, and I said, Katie said, you know, I'm a nobody, I said, why are you talking to me, and she said, well, Simon, she said, the thing is, you know, you see me as a person who's got millions of, of views, and she said, I've been doing this for 10 years. She said, it's like a musician where everyone says you're an overnight success. You know, there's not, there's hard work that gets there. So, you know, that's why I'm sort of talking to you to help you sort of um, give a sort of uh, a leg up to go where you're doing. I think I've received the same in what you're doing, John, but 
it's not really 15 minutes of fame for you because you've had a long-standing career in the military you've been a, a contractor and you've been doing these things uh, like i said to you earlier just what was it that caused you to be in that time that place three days before you're looking to start your business in you know um uh, sort of firearms training and tactics training i mean you know uh, whatever you call that, you know, like I said, I'm a believer. I would call that fate and, and destiny. I think that the Lord was putting you there to, to keep those people safe and to put you on this path. So there's, there's different ways you can slice and dice it. But, you know, yeah. we're not talking about the Kardashians here. We're talking about a guy that was out there trying to keep people safe. So they're, they're very different. I'm going to defend you there. But, you know, one thing I would say is I have seen people, um, you know, attack your level of training. And well, what does it mean for you when you've got, people you don't even know that are hundreds or thousands of miles away from across the world. And, you know, four months ago, you were just this normal guy. Uh, and now you've got these followers and people are trying to sort of put you down to get themselves um, advanced. I mean, what does, how does that affect you, John, when you, when you have that? Um, I want to say it doesn't affect me at all, but it's a much more annoying than anything because I can go on and I can look at their account and I can follow them and I can, you know, see everything. And it's, what are you doing? What, uh, what have you done? No, you're just a, you're just a hater. You just want to stir the pot in a negative way. You just want to fire people up and you want to, and it's the same thing that, uh, that happened to me a lot as a kid with uh, my brothers. They just want a reaction. They just want to stir the pot. They just want to, you know, watch the world burn, if you will. Um, but then like, there's, there's been a few that actually like, you know, like, uh, you know, I want the, the humble warrior, you know, does something and then does something cool and right. And then moves on. And I'm like, you know what, dude, I agree. I 1000% agree. I want that too. And that's who I feel like I am. And that is who I feel like that is who I want to be. That is who I aspire to be. But it came down to a different priority. The priority wasn't just to be who I feel I am. The priority was to build a business, which I already was trying to do. And the priority beyond that was, okay, why am I building this business? It's so I can support my family. So I don't care as much about the whole humble warrior thing in regards to myself, because that, however important that is to me, is not as important as taking care of my family. In a, you know, a very base way, it's I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take care of myself and my family. And if this video, this incident of my, you know, validation of training is what does that, well, what I did in that moment sat within my moral guidelines. It was what I knew I needed to be doing at that time. And I still feel that way. And I feel that way with what I'm doing now. And the priorities aren't with what I'm doing now. They're not protecting, they're building. So if I sat back and let the timing and opportunity fly by and then decided, okay, now I'm going to build something. And interesting, you, you mentioned there, John, uh, about your um, family. I think from stalking on social media that you've got um, some kids, right, as well, you know. I guess I've been one of the people that have been looking at your social media pages as well. And, you know, at the, at the point when you might be in, you know, foreign land, Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever it is, and you've got this sort of, the full support of the U.S. government as as best they can when you're in sort of like you know places of war or in conflict. When you're doing it as a private contractor, 
you know, in a, an urban city like Seattle, you know, it's a very different environment you're in, particularly when you're protecting a, a news crew. You know, you don't necessarily have that full government um, backing for you. Yeah, when your okay. family see that type of stuff, I'm not going to say, when your family see that type of stuff, I mean, how, how, does, how has this incident changed perhaps maybe your wise view about some of the work that you do? Because if by any chance, and again, you know, it didn't happen, so we can, we can talk about the hypothetical, if the guy hadn't handed you VAR, you had to engage, you know, you had to um, you know, take a sort of fatal shot, the outcome, you know, you would still be the same guy because you did what, you know, was the right and moral thing to do. Um, but the initial backlash and initial conversation could have been very different. So I guess I'd like to, you know, it's hypothetical on your wife, but how, how, was, how have your family perceived the work that you now do? Because I guess it became more real when they saw it in all the news outlets. There was, all right, so I was in Baghdad at the very beginning of the year, and in just, in just 2019, December into January. And that's when things were getting pretty hot with Iran and uh the, I was on the U.S. Embassy and we were besieged. Um, my wife didn't know about it for almost a week because she doesn't watch the news. And I had gotten in touch with everyone. Hey, don't tell her. <laughs> don't tell her. Let her. Let her. You know, it's New Year's. It's we got stuff going on. She's busy. I don't want her to worry. Just don't bring it up. And eventually, obviously, she found out. One of her sisters said something. There was already a preamble. Um, to the level of threat that I could possibly be in due to uh, the nature of my work. And uh, obviously that to her was more scary because I was in Iraq and, you know, we were surrounded and there's a whole other nation involved. But that to me, from what I saw in Seattle versus what I saw in Baghdad at that time, Seattle's worse. And that is surreal. So when I was leaving to go to work that day, um, I actually was getting spun up on the 29th. I was told I was probably going to go. So I got all prepared, ready to go, and uh, it was canceled. So I was ready to go the day prior. And then uh, I got a – I was expecting to go. She's at work. I told her, hey, I got called. I'm leaving. And she's like, all right, be safe. And I was like, just for you, I will. <laughs> but uh, I called her – or no, I called my brother who was at home at the time. And I still had both rifles on me. I hadn't even made it to the police yet. And I told him, hey, keep her off the news. Because I, I just I just knew. My phone was already going wild um, from my bosses calling and my yeah. um, friends that had just saw it live and everything. And Well, he didn't do a very good job of hiding it, and she saw it. And so they all knew before I got home. And they were proud. But she, once that pride had subsided and died down after that immediate reaction she got scared yeah. um she got real scared and because it's just like oh shit okay <laughs> um but uh she is even more introverted than i so all the media attention and everything like that she's super proud of me but it's exhausting it's exhausting at times and uh but she understands why i'm doing it too um yeah, so, so how has it changed you then, um, John? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say it has changed me. And maybe that's out of, uh, you know, stubbornness. I would say more the right word is I've adapted. Um, I've learned things and skills and methods of doing things that I did not know before to adapt to it. I have had a crash course in modern business um you know, foundations and social media and all this kind of stuff. Now I make a post a day 
pretty much. And there's certain ways you do it. There's algorithms there's all kinds of wild stuff. Um, and I hate doing this, but so I teach, uh, train people under the, for, uh, farms instruction. And I mean, I know they've all seen that video because that's how they know who I am. And I have to refer to it because during the training, it's also about situational awareness and self-assessment through the fundamentals of marksmanship. One shot to another, that's a completely different situation. If you miss that first shot, you need to know why and fix it on the second. That's the same thing in situational awareness. One minor thing can change and the entire outcome will be different. The guy's hand came up off the gun and I knew I didn't have to press the trigger because his hand was off the fire controls. One minor thing. So I would honestly say I've adapted to it and I'm making the best of it. Um, probably not doing as good a job as I could be doing, but trying. Well, like I said, you know, you go from a guy with hundred followers on Instagram to 80,000 and you're on international news, it has to change you in, in some way. You can just try and unpack, you know, what it, what's the learning from it. And, you know, we've, we've sort of, you know, heard about the, um, the, the sort of the, the views of your wife or sure you're more sensitive um, to that. And, you know, and you realize how your upbringing really plays into a part as to, as to who we are as people. So it's fascinating. So I guess the only question I really want to ask you, John, is do you ever wish that it wasn't you there on, on that day? I know you'd want it to be you because that's in your nature, but do you ever look back and say, actually, it might be nice to go back to life um, before this? Mm. I'm going to say no because of one reason. And that reason is that incident did something for me that I had been trying to find for a long time. And it, it's, it goes back to something I said a little earlier. There were, there were three rounds fired during that incident, but none of them were me, none of them were at me. But what it did is it, it gave me the validation of character. It gave me a validation of character to a point, to a, a further point than I already had. It gave me the validation to myself that yes, I will do this if something happens something this uh um, threatening happens yes i will step up like i've always hoped and you know made the decision to do i didn't have that oh shit moment this is real i need to leave that didn't cross my mind once um and in that way i i wouldn't change it no um and that's because i had been seeking out these I've been doing these jobs and putting myself in these positions and this kind of work for a long time. And I mean, a lot of it is, it's not just pay. It's not just cause it's something fun or interesting. It's because I want to know who I am. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, hearing um, you talk about your, your half brothers that, you know, clearly impacted your life. And, uh, you know, we all search, us men are worse for it, but we all search for something. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, you've been searching for um, validation to know that you're on the right path. And it sounds like what happened that day in May gave you some of that validation to know that, you know, you are significant, you are important. And, you know, you've got the skills to actually, um, you know, to do this thing and look out for others. So, I'm, I'm, so like I said, for me, I, I'm a believer. I said, I, I think it's really good that the Lord did put you in that place at the right time um, because there he had a bigger, he had a bigger calling for you. So let, let's give you what you're doing now a bit of a plug, John. Where are you? Um, 
of what you do with your with your business, but you were you were going to try and do beforehand. Now it's gonna it's gonna take off. Well, the whole weapon snatcher name is now a brand, um, but the company name is Bang Bags. And actually, so a hurricane held up production of the bags. But then another thing that I just got a message about yesterday is holding up production. It's one of the uh, materials that we need because the entire firearms tactical gear industry is so slammed right now. Yeah. Everywhere it's sold out. So it's holding it up now too. But uh, it's a rear bag for precision shooting that uh, it, it, it's different than the rest. And it's geared more towards a tactical environment than competition um, because there's a hole that needs to be filled. Um, you can't use the same competition type bags for the tackle environment because they're just too big. They're too bulky. A lot of them are just too damn heavy and they don't do enough and are not tough enough to stand up to the job that our dudes in the country or, you know, even uh, law enforcement that they, you know, the wear and tear that they put on these. Um, and then with that, I'm, I'm going to be doing uh, firearms training, but that is not what I want to do. I enjoy it, but what I would rather do is host far more experienced trainers. I'd rather have a, uh, a complex where I can bring them in and give them a facility to train out of that will meet every need because I want to host them so I can join, I can participate in them. Um, you know, so I can learn, but I'm like, I'm in, I have three phases of my plan of my, you know, goal for everything. And right now I'm in the like fetus stage of phase one that we got the website weapon uh hyphen snatcher no weapon dash snatcher.com it's up the products and merchandise and everything are taking a little uh little time to get consolidated into the fulfillment area or fulfillment warehouse because of uh covid um and up with that we got i got facebook i got the instagram i got the twitter it's all it's all getting done and i'm learning how to connect it all and do it all at once I've been a, an honor and a privilege to hear more of your background and story and also for taking the time to talk to me because I, I must say that you know me and you have been talking for a couple of months and I, I don't know how many times we tried to do this so um, I am I am grateful that in your full um, inbox I'm sure from all the networks that you that you answered my call to come on who I became so John Karugi thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate it thank you for having me and yeah I'm I've said a lot in this podcast that I've never said on another. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.